these, uh, these sweaters are very, very important. Um, you're going to, I believe God's going to use these sweaters today to help, um, to help all of us grab a hold of some, some truth. Um, but I, I want to say two things. One is for you and one is for me before we get into the message. Here's the one for you. Cinderella, I, I've been sitting in on some of the practices and we're actually gone next week so I can't go to the actual performance. Guys, what is happening with ALCS and this group that is doing Cinderella, it is just, it's going to be amazing. And I really want to encourage you for your sake to get tickets because it, it's really, it, it is really something special. It's, it's, it's amazing what God can do through young people. Okay, so that was the announcement for you. Now I've got one for me, okay? So there's 100 envelopes out there. There's the even numbers are on that side and the odd numbers are on that side. And uh, <clears throat> I do this every time we have a, a, a trip and do orange. I, I make a commitment after tonight's third service, I will take and fill the largest envelope that is left. So I'm encouraging you to not just take an envelope, take large envelopes. <laughs> I would be so excited if my envelope was 10. That, I mean, I'd just take a $10 bill out. Um, so uh, pray about that. And, and uh, it, it's, the, the missions trip is just is, is an amazing thing. And, and building this house, I, I, I want to be really, really clear because it's, it's really important to me Ron Brayton's ministry does not enable the poor. It's not just handing a gift out. It empowers the poor. He thoroughly, the family that this house goes to, not only is there proven need, they're usually living in shacks right now, but they, are, they have jobs, they go to church, they are already doing stuff to improve their lives, and we are coming alongside them as, as the grace of God to empower um, poor people to live with more dignity and help them on their way. And it's just, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful ministry. So um, if there's any question about that, I, I wanted you to know that. Okay, could we, could we stand together? I'm going to read two verses, and then we're going to, I'm going to pray, and we'll have you sit, and then I'll read the longer passage. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Through whom, speaking of Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Now Romans 16. So this is the, the fifth verse in the entire book. Now here's the, the last, two of the last three verses. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel... And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but is now manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God 
has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. Would you, would you pray, pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that you would show us what the gospel is meant to produce in us. Father, I pray that we would, that no one would leave this place today without understanding what this phrase, the obedience of faith, means. And I pray for everyone, especially those that are struggling with sin day in and day out, old sin, sin that's been around a long time, that they're battling and battling it and losing and losing. Father, I pray today you would put a key in each hand of how to win day after day against sin and against the sin nature. Lord, would you fill this place today with your glory? Would you help us to understand your truth? And we will give you all the glory for every good thing that happens. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One of the ways to figure out what a whole book is about is to look at the introduction and look at the conclusion. Because whatever he was trying to say, he will summarize near the end. And one of, there's two main purposes for the book of Romans. One is this unity thing of bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together in this church and get them to love each other and work together and honor and value each other. The other huge message of this whole book is called the obedience of faith. He states it up front in verse 5 that that his ministry is about bringing people into the obedience of faith and he says it at the end that God, the eternal God, has given this ministry, has given the gospel itself to produce the obedience of faith in the Gentiles. So what does that phrase mean, the obedience of faith? All right, we're going to do Romans 6 today. And it, it's Paul is getting to, he, he, he spent five chapters explaining to everybody why there is no such thing as the obedience of law. That we don't obey the law. The law is never God's... God, all the law can do is show you your sin. The idea that the law is going to make you righteous is, is not right. The law cannot do that. However much you might love the law and be devoted to the law, the law cannot save us. The law can only show us our sin and lead us to our need for a Savior and to give our lives to Christ and to accept the righteousness that God has freely given. Now he changes directions into how we obey today and what the gospel produces and this engine that God has made of obedience called the obedience of faith. So here we go, Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Now, that's a, that, 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 there's a little uh, letter there because this is really, there's another way to, to translate this and it's in the margin. That the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. Now, that's a way better translation than done away with. Rendered powerless. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. There's actually, there it goes. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap from holiness, reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo! All right. The obedience of faith, point one is the purpose of obedience. Obedience does not make us right with God. He spent five chapters saying that. But it testifies 
to ourselves and to others that we are right with God. Okay, so we're going to talk about three types of righteousness very quickly. First, imputed righteousness, where God, as a gift, gives you all at once his righteousness. He gives you the gift of righteousness, the gift of being right with God. Righteousness means being in right standing with God. When you give your life to Christ, you are made right with God immediately by receiving this gift. The, the Bible calls this justification. And it means, an easy way to understand it, it means just as if I'd never sinned. You get Christ's obedience. Jesus kept the law perfectly. He died in our place. So we are justly forgiven in Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us as a gift. It's called justification. Okay, so that's, that's imputed righteousness. Now we're going to talk about, and, and today really, is about imparted righteousness. Where God doesn't just give you this clothing of righteousness, he actually gives you his own grace, which actually, in reality, creates righteousness in you and me. He sets us apart for a relationship with himself in which, in a process... His righteousness is actually imparted and we begin changing. This, the Bible calls this process sanctification. So justification, one-time thing. It happens right when you give your life to Christ. Sanctification lasts your whole life down here whereby you are in a relationship with the actual grace of God that is imparting God's beauty, God's character, God's righteousness Little by little by little, it is a process called sanctification that lasts your whole life. And then finally, and let me say a word about this. Because sometimes people freak out when they hear about imparted righteousness. And they freak out when they hear about the obedience of faith because like, oh my, am I even saved? We're supposed to be righteous. We're supposed to, and I still see failure, and I still see difficulty, and I still 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 see problems in my life. Here's here's what you always need to remember. There are two places as we are traveling on this road called Christianity. There are two places to look. Okay, one is out the front windshield. When you look out the front windshield, you're driving in this car called Christianity. You look out the front windshield, you're, you're going to realize we're not there yet. We are, we are not there yet. It is very clear to you, you have not arrived at your destination. Paul says, I'm not saying that I'm already perfect. I'm not saying that I've arrived. I'm saying that I'm laying a hold of the one that has laid a hold of me. I am, I am engaging in this process. I'm not where I want to be or where I'm going to be or where God is taking me. And we can see out that windshield that we're not there yet. And unfortunately, our non-Christian, unbelieving friends and family can also see that we're not there yet. And they are very happy to share that with us. 
If you only look out the front windshield, you're going to be very discouraged about your Christianity. And even question whether you're really saved. You also have to look in the rearview mirror. Because the rearview mirror will tell you this. I'm not where I was. I'm not where I want to be, but I, I am not where I was. Alice and I had coffee yesterday and at a co- we love to get together at a coffee shop. We were talking about our marriage and, and, and it's amazing when you look in the rearview mirror of how much God has done in our marriage. Now, if you went out with us for lunch today, you'd realize well, it's not perfect. <laughs> There's still some rough edges. But it's nothing like it was. And a lot of times, we don't take time to celebrate what the grace of God has already done. It is really important to look back on where you were, what Jesus pulled you out of, and be able to say, wow, God is alive. God is moving in me a lot, frankly, a lot of strength to go forward and to believe God that He's going to take you where you're going is to celebrate all that He's already done. Why would He stop now? He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And of course, the day of Christ Jesus is when we experience something called fulfilled righteousness. This is the, the biblical term is glorification. That when we see him, we will be like him. We will lose this sin nature. We will, the the old things will forever be gone and buried and will literally not be part of us anymore. Obedience does not make us right with God, but it testifies that we are right with God. It testifies to ourselves and to other people that we are in a right relationship with God. So Paul is addressing mainly Gentiles here when he's talking about twisting the meaning of grace. In verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. It is possible to twist, even as it's possible to make God in your own image and to make God what you want him to be instead of accepting him as he is. It is possible to redefine the Christian life and make grace mean something that it does not mean in the Bible. That grace means I get to sin and I get to just do whatever I want to and God has to forgive me. That is not what grace means. Grace will lead to obedience. He says in verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Is is grace, is the purpose of grace so that we can just keep sinning? Paul's like, by no means. 
the grace of God, our obedience, our growth is a testimony to the world that Jesus is alive. It testifies to them that there's, there's something more than just human behavior, humans living selfish lives. What happens is when we change the meaning of grace and make it something it's not, what happens is we enter into something called self-deception. Here's, here's how James said it. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. The idea that Christianity doesn't have to be practiced and that somehow I can be right with God and not be a practicing Christian is deception. Jesus himself said this. And, and, and folks, this is very, it's very sobering. It's sobering for me. It should be sobering for everyone in this church because the way the deception comes is because you're around the word of God. You, you hear the word of God. You go to church. You might listen to sermons on the radio. You're around the word of God, and, but you can deceive yourself and you can say to yourself, because I hear the word of God, I must be practicing the word of God. And Jesus said, he, he just said, watch out. He said, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, that won't enter because they, they didn't embrace a lifestyle. They, he's going to say, depart from me. You will practice lawlessness. And then he gave this illustration. This is Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Where he says, two, he says let, me, let, me, let me explain it to you. Here's two guys that are building a house. And one builds it on the sand. And when the troubles of this life and the winds and the waves come, that house is, is taken away. And he said, this is how it is with those who hear the word of God, but don't practice it. They, they were assuming because I've heard the word of God that I, 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 I'm going to be fine because the word of God is the rock that which we said. Jesus said, no, it's not. It is and it isn't. The word practiced, the word believed, the word acted on, the word changing your life is the rock. He said the second group, they heard the word of God, they put it into practice. He said this is like the guy that built his house on the rock. The waves and the winds and the trouble are going to hit this house and it's still going to stand. Now here, this is... This is so important for all of us to recognize this. It's really important for our own minds that we recognize that Jesus says here that what Christianity promises is not a trouble-free life. If I'm a real Christian, if I'm believing God, if I'm doing everything God wants me to do, then the wind will and the, and the waves will never come up against my house and against my life. Wrong. Sorry. That's not the promise of Christianity. Christianity's promise is, well, here's Jesus' promise to us all. This is just a great verse. John 16, 13. In the world, you will have trouble. I promise. Why, why is that not in anyone's refrigerator? 
Man is, Job said, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Jesus said, uh, each day has enough trouble of its own. Christianity is not trouble free. Christianity gives the promise that you will stand, that you will shine. The trouble will not eventually hurt you. It will actually help you. It will actually craft you. It will make you better, make you stronger, make you more beautiful. God is going to take you and me through our troubles, but we need to not deceive ourselves. We need to be doers and not just hearers. Obedience testifies to other people about that we have a right relationship with God. Listen to this. This is Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Good deeds, truly good deeds, are what what I would call God deeds. They are a result of obeying God. In this verse, the relationship with God is presupposed. You already have a right relationship. He is already your father. Good deeds don't earn you a place with the father, but they show the world that there is such a thing as a right relationship with the father. And we are God's showcase People are seeing that we have a right relationship with God by our very lives. Obedience is way more than not doing what we shouldn't do. It's it's doing the good deeds that God puts before us. So that's the purpose of obedience. Aren't you glad point one is over? Praise God. Now we're on to point two. Here we go. The power behind obedience. The power to obey is Christ in us. This is very hard for people to grab a hold of because we assume that the power of obedience is our own willpower. We used to live this way and now we're living this way and we're gonna make a new resolution and we're making all these promises to God and we're gonna, and everybody else might forsake you, but I won't, I'll die for you because I know my love in my heart and I'm filled with zeal and and. And Jesus just looks at Peter shaking his head and saying, "Uh, you're going to deny me three times before the cock even crows. The engine room is not willpower. It's Christ's power. Paul explains how it works. And I think it helps to go back to last week. Um, If you weren't there last week, we got CDs out there, but... All of chapter 5 is about what it means to be in Adam and that you, in Adam, you get his tendency, you get his nature. And and so uh, things are stacked against us when we're in the first Adam. But the second Adam, Jesus, has started a new race. We are born again. We are born again by his spirit. And what, what happens is when somebody gives their life to Christ, they are baptized By the Holy Spirit, this is inward, they are baptized into Christ. The word baptism just means immersion. 
We are immersed in his death. His death is our death. We die with Christ to our old nature, our old man, our, the old Adam, that old race. We, that man is rendered powerless by our identity with Christ. And, that, and water, water baptism, which is a picture of this inward immersion, is you go down in the water, that's called the watery grave, and then you come up out of the water, and that is our identification, not just with his death, but with his resurrection life. That we've been given new life in Christ. This life is available. This life is the purpose of the gospel. There is new life. There is resurrection life in believers. You just have to see that it's Christ in you that is the power. It's, it's your identification with Jesus Christ. There's no longer a me. There's an us. You and Jesus are together in this thing now. And he's got the power. Identifying with him, rendering the old man dead, and grabbing a hold of this resurrection life. I'm reading 1 John chapter 5, 3-5. through 5. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay. His commands are not burdensome. What do you mean his commands are not burdensome? Paul's whole, for five chapters, not only are God's commands burdensome, they're impossible. God's commands can't help you at all. God's commands actually, all they can do is show you how unholy you are. So what is John saying? John is not talking about how you get righteous. He's not talking about imputed righteousness. He's talking about imparted righteousness. God's commands are not burdensome now. Let me tell you why. Because that new nature in you, you have been born of God. God has put his own nature in you. We become, 2 Peter 1, partakers of the divine nature. Obedience is natural for the new you. It is, if you would tap into the flow of the new nature, of the new man, you'd find out the, these, these commands, in fact, every command in the New Testament, guys, every command, this, it's really important to grab this, is a promise to you of what the life of God will do in you and through you. Every fruit of the Spirit is a promise these come, we're excited about the commands of God because they are promises of what he is doing, what he is planning on doing, what he will do. This is the victory, not our will, but our faith. It is faith in Christ that, that allows this new nature to flow. Here is, here's Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. God is at work within us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
Paul says, work out your salvation in verse 12. Salvation is in you. Work it out now with fear and trembling. Why? Because God himself is at work. And here's why it's not burdensome. It's not just power to do. It's power to want to do. That's what will means. He puts the want to in us. You actually want to do what God wants you to do. This is what grace does. Grace is an amazing engine inside of us. Here's the easiest way to to describe it. It's a little crude. I've used it before, but it, it will help us. I want you to think for a moment of the nature of a pig and a cat. Let's talk about it. Here's a pig. A pig loves mud. Pig loves to play in the mud. Pig loves to be dirty. Now, that doesn't mean you can't clean a pig up. You can wash it. You can put ribbons on it. You can actually keep it out of the mud as well. You can, you can put fences around the mud so the pig can't get to the mud. You can get the pig out of the mud, but you can't get the mud out of the pig. Here's what I mean by that. You, get, you, you clean him up, you put fences around everything, and you, what you're going to have is a pig standing by the fence wishing he was in the mud. See, the old man can do righteousness. The old man can clean up the outside of the cup. The old man can appear to, to be doing good and doing right and be upstanding. But guys, apart from the grace of God, the old man will never love righteousness. It will only be his duty. It will only, righteousness and church and God will be very similar to paying taxes. It's my duty. I have to do it. The only crime would be overpaying. I am going to do the minimum that my duty requires. Why? I don't love it. I want to do other things with my money. I don't love paying taxes. Don't get me into the deficit and what's going on. Don't even, let's not even go there, okay? This is not a political sermon. Now let's talk about a cat for a moment. Cats get dirty all the time. Cats can fall out of trees into mud. Cats can, you can throw a cat into mud. You can get a cat dirty. But a cat hates being dirty. And even though it is dirty, it's thinking about being clean again. And you, you find a cat and you're, it's cleaning itself. It's, it's cleaning itself and it doesn't like to be in the mud, but it can get dirty. When Paul goes off in Romans 16, he's, he says, I'm trying to give you an example from your culture so that you want, I'm giving you a human example. And slavery, of course, 50% of the Roman Empire was, was slaves. So he's giving this, what it means to be a slave of righteousness. Okay, so here, here's our modern day example. To what it means to be a slave to righteousness. It simply means, like, when you are truly born again, you are truly in the new nature, you have become a slave to righteousness, like a cat is a slave to being clean. 
What do I mean by being a slave? It simply means that it can't enjoy being dirty. It can get dirty, but it can't enjoy being dirty. It's always thinking about getting clean when it gets dirty. Time magazine, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago, did a huge, the, the cover was on this, was on pornography. It was on how pornography is devastating our culture. My, oh my, when Time magazine is telling us, guys, this is destroying our men. This is taking a huge toll. When Time magazine is calling us to awareness about something that is destroying our society, how many know that's very prevalent? So what does it mean to be a cat? What does it mean to be born again, have the new nature? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean, man. It doesn't mean that by some mysterious force, you can no longer look at pornography. Just, I tried to look at it, but I couldn't. Wow. No, that is not what it, what it does. Here's what it does. You can no longer enjoy pornography. You can look at it. You can watch a movie about it. You can have it under your bed, I don't, on your phones, I guess, is how it is now. But it's not, go, it's not gonna do for you what it used to do when you were a slave to sin. And what happens is people become Christians and they try the Christian life and they find they're failing and then Egypt looks really good. Where we came from looks really good. You look in the rearview mirror and, and the, of course, we got an enemy against us too, don't we? It's called Satan. And he puts in our mind how great it used to be when you could sin all the time and how great it was back there when you were addicted And how great it was when you were back there. Now your life kind of, it's just hard. And so people go back. And they want to relive that. And they find out something. I don't get the same joy that I used to get. In fact, I feel horrible about myself. In fact, my Christianity is in the way. And sometimes people get so frustrated by that, they end up renouncing the very one who saved them because they resent that I'm new and I can't enjoy sin the way I used to enjoy sin. Now we're done with point two. Aren't we glad? We've done the purpose of obedience. We've done the power behind obedience And now we're going to talk about practical behaviors accompanying obedience. These these guys, these guys are going to help us. They're going to help us grab a hold of this. We're, We're not there yet, though. Okay, here we go. Chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, because of Christ, because of your union with Christ, because you've been buried with Christ and you're alive in him and your identity is not in the old man but in the new man, because of this, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, 
but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. All right, so let's just talk for a moment about sin. When Paul says, do not offer your mortal bodies, the members of your bodies, to sin, he is talking about something that still resides in all human beings, even when they are born again. He is not saying that your mortal bodies are evil. That is not, that is absolutely, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit, this body is. Don't think that your body is an enemy. What is your enemy is sin. It's in the singular. Now, there are several synonyms for the sin that's in us. One is the carnal nature. One is, in some versions, they call it the flesh. It's, but it's not our bodies, it's, and that's why they changed it from the flesh to the carnal nature. It is something within our members that is very powerful. And when you present your members to the carnal nature, you are going to get a response that was unexpected. Now, here's how I understand it, and I think it will help you. I've used this before as well. It is like a computer. And at birth, in the first Adam, you've got a sin nature. Everybody born through, of their mother's womb is born in sin, except for Jesus. Everybody else is born in sin. It's on your hard drive. Now, just because it's on your hard drive, just because you've got whole programs on your hard drive does not mean you have to access them. The way you access things that are on your hard drive, usually you type in just a few things and press enter, and then the hard drive runs a whole program. So what God does in the new birth, and this is why it's so important, because the, the whole idea of it, he's taken away the body of sin, makes it sound like the new birth means that you no longer have sin in you, that now you just get this new nature, and there's only one thing on your hard drive, and that's the new nature. And therefore, we don't even really need to worry about what's going on inside of us. That, this is not how it works. You have a sin nature still. And what God does in the new birth is he puts something else on your hard drive. It's right in you. It's his nature. It's the new life. And you can, and I, can render ourselves dead to that old hard drive. How? By never accessing it. We know it's there. In fact, here's how you know it's there. You will have little pop-ups on your screen. They will invite you to, hey, I'm here, I'm here. Have you ever had those on your computer that are our invitations? And we are, our leaders, our, our, our technology people say, don't, don't ever click on one of those things. You don't know what it is. Bad things can happen. A lot of times you're tapping into a virus. So, Paul says that We need to gather one another, encourage one another, lest any of us um, enter into what he called the deceitfulness of sin. Let me tell you what the deceitfulness of sin is. 
The deceitfulness is you think when you're doing something evil, something not right, you're lying, you're cheating, you're stealing, you're lusting, you're uh, hating, you think you're just typing a few things in. It's no big deal. Here's why it's deceitful. Sin has its own desires. You have awakened a beast. You have awakened a whole program, and you are no longer dealing with what you did. You're dealing with this onslaught. Paul, Paul says, um, when you sow to the flesh, to the carnal nature, you're going to reap corruption. Remember, remember those disciples that Jesus said, you are the light of the world, and you're going to go out, and your good deeds are going to proclaim that I'm alive. Do you know what he said in the very next chapter to the same disciples? See to it that the light in you does not become darkness. Because if it does, how great that darkness can be. You and I need to be aware there is a war going on. Galatians 5 says that the, 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 the spirit and the carnal nature are warring against each other. Walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So I have to render myself dead. I have to remember that I'm dead to sin. I have to remember that's not my life. I am this new man. I, and, and it's awesome because it works the other way too. You think you just decided that you're going to listen to Christian music and that's not a big deal. Well, you don't understand that the words and the melodies are tapping into your new nature. And you're, 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 the whole program of, of godly desire is coming up. When you go to a meeting, when you go to church, more is happening than you logging an hour and a half in church. The Holy Spirit is tapping your new nature. There is a, a response. Paul says in the same verse, if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life. Do you guys know that we owe, when you sow, the principle of sowing is you sow little and you reap a lot? This is how it is when you sow to the Spirit. When you have a quiet time, when you read your Bible, this is why we're so big on spiritual disciplines. Because you get back way more than you typed in. So consider yourselves dead. Don't access, don't present your members to that old man. All right, so now we're going to have fun with these sweaters. So last week, last week we had this very ethereal talk about our, our life is hidden with God and Christ. Seek the things that are above, and I pointed to the heavens, and your life is hidden in Christ above, and this is the new man, and get into the environment of the new man. And then Paul switches gears in verse 5, Colossians 3, and makes everything very, very practical. Here it is. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creators, of its creator. So I had an experience of trauma 
couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks now. My lovely wife, beautiful wife, says to me these words. I don't want you to wear those sweaters anymore. They make you look old. (laughs) Now, she didn't just say that. Here's what she said. Here's her promise to me. She said, in fact, she said, one day, you're going to look up, and those sweaters are not even going to be in your closet anymore. (laughs) They make you... They make you look old. Now, here's the problem. Here's why this is so traumatic. (laughs) These are my sweaters. (laughs) They fit. They fit me. These are birthday presents and Christmas presents. Everybody in my family knows I love sweaters. These are all in my starting lineup for work. At home, at home I wear, sweat, I wear Packer sweatshirts. But when I'm at church, I, I just feel like a sweatshirt is too, ca- and we're casual here, but it can't be that casual. And so these sweaters were just a nice balance. You just, you slip them on, they fit, they're easy. Uh, I thought they looked very nice. My wife said, they make me look old. So let's talk about these sweaters for a moment. (laughs) Let's talk about them. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that each one of us has an easily besetting area of sin. Easily besetting means this. It's formed just for you. It fits you really well. It was, it's, it's comfortable. It's easy to go back to you. It's, it's really easy to even think of it as part of you. Maybe it's been in the family and was passed down to you. And it's just, it's just very easy because sin is, it's comfortable for our, our old man. And how many know when you're under stress or in trauma, you often go to stuff that was really comfortable. You know, I'm, I was trying to be godly. I was trying to do God's stuff, but now I'm, now I'm going, I'm, 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 I'm hurting right now. So I, I, I give myself a free pass to go back to what is comfortable. Now, everybody's got a different one. Different colors look better on different people. And so, so one of these has is, is got lust on it. But sometimes that isn't the main deal. Sometimes this one's got anger on it, hatred, and all the things that go with it, slander, unforgiveness, grudges. And this has been in the family for so long, and it's so comfortable to wear and go back to. And, and so it's just, it's just really easy to slip. Have you noticed how easy it is to slip these guys on? Has anybody notice there's no buttons? You know, you got to button this thing. This thing just slides right on. Let me tell you about this guy. 
This one's called pride. In him is selfish ambition. And Americans actually like this guy. This guy, we've got a right to wear this guy. We're going to make America great again. Forgive me, forgive me. Lord, please, God, forgive me. I did not mean to go there. I didn't want to go there. And, uh, and, and so this guy can pride himself that he doesn't have lust and he doesn't have anger and he goes to church every Sunday and he's just proud of it. Can I tell you something about all of these? Whichever one is comfortable, and I, maybe I didn't list yours. Paul had a bigger list than he. Lying, deceiving. Can I just tell you something about these guys? They make you look old. They make you look like the old man. It's very confusing to unbelievers when they see us wearing the old man. Because they thought it was different. They thought we were supposed to be different. And when we've got, when we've got these guys on, it's very confusing because they make us look old. Like the old self. So let me tell you, these still hang in my closet, and we'll talk about why they do for, in a moment. Why, why, I want to help you, why, since she made that comment, even though these guys are all in my closet, why haven't I not worn one of them? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you three reasons why. First reason, I want to please my spouse. I, I want to be pleasing. She has made it known to me that this does not make me look good and it is not pleasing to her. And, and so I don't want to wear it because she's got that strong opinion. Did you know that Jesus is your spouse? Did you know that we're married to Christ? Not it, it, each, all of us together, there's one bride and we are married to Christ. And so you would, you would think that would be enough right there, just that it, it doesn't please him, so I don't want to wear it for that reason. Second reason I haven't pulled these out is I, I've just talked about it. The reality is I don't want to look old. I, I'm not trying to look younger than I am. But I've already got a disadvantage because this hair is gray. And people ask me about retirement all the time and try to give me discounts on coffee, little snots. I do not want a discount on coffee. I am not that old. Jesus wants us to look like the new man. And if we love people, if you just love people, you're going to want to look like the new man. You're not going to want to look old. This is why it's so important to sell out as a Christian. You need to be all in. 
This is the rest of my life. I am a Christian. This is my main identity. Not my work, not that I'm a husband, not that I'm a father, not that I make money. Here's my main identity. I am a Christian. I am all in, and I want to look good for unbelievers. So I'm going to put on the new man. And here's the third reason that I want to keep that in the closet and, and pull out new, the, new, the new clothes is because Alice has gone through a lot to buy me new clothes. She is, she's always looking. And she is constantly providing new clothes. Now, I have learned something, and I, I just want to take a moment to tip my hat to the genius of American marketing. Because we have this one certain store that we go to, that she goes to, all I've, I've only been there a few times, but I've, when I've been there, I've observed what they do. Okay, you, you, you go in there, you buy your stuff, and they've got this receipt. And at the end of your experience together, they circle this number at the bottom, and they tell you how much you saved today. This is ingenious. So Alice comes home not telling me how much she spent. She tells me how much she saved. Now, what I'm going to say next, if you're a man here, if you're a husband here, if you're a father, you need to write this one down. Here's what, here's what men, I'm going to do a little translation for you, man. The more you have saved, saved, the worse it is for you. <laughs> to save a lot, you have to spend a lot. And so don't be confused by this. Anyway, okay, so that's, that's my... How do they do it? How do they make us excited about all the money we save? Anyway, they did it. Okay, that's fine. The clothes that Jesus has purchased for us were not on discount. He had to pay the full price. He had to die on the cross. He had to shed his blood. He did that. The Bible says it was for the joy. It was, we are his joy. He paid the full price for the joy of being able to clothe us. Now, let me tell you some of the clothes that are presently in your closet. You don't have to pray that these will be in there. They're in the closet. Lo the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Every one of those ones is in your closet. You just need to put it on. You, you've already been given the breastplate of righteousness. This is the imparted righteousness of God. You've been given a belt of truth. It's already in the closet. What, all you have to do is put it on. And it's a joy to put it on because it pleases him, because then I don't have to look old, and because he has given me other clothes to wear. I don't have to wear the old man. I have to put on the old man. Pastor Tom, one last question. Why 
And now the promise was given. She said, one day you're going to look up and they're not even going to be in your closet. Why not now? Why didn't she just remove them from the closet? And I would say, honey, where's my sweaters? Honey, where are my sweaters? Oh, they're gone now. Has anybody ever asked that question to God? God, why don't you just take away? Why don't you just take away the desire to sin? Why don't you just take away this? Here's why Alice didn't just take them out of the closet. Because she has no desire to control me. She loves me, and she wants a relationship with me. They will not leave my closet until I decide. Listen to, listen to what Jesus said. This is John 10, 18. He said, this is why the Father's pleased with me. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own. The Father has given me the initiative to either lay my life down or preserve it. This is the command of the Father. The Father has commanded His children that He will not choose your clothes for you. He 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 puts the new clothes in the closet he will express very clearly that he doesn't like the old clothes. But he is waiting for you and me to say, I love you, Jesus. I don't want to look old. You really, I've really got these really beautiful clothes. I'm going to start wearing them. Yes, I know. I know lust is in my closet. I know I could look at porn today. But you know what, Jesus? You're so good, and you provided purity, and I don't, I don't want to wear this today. I know it's comfortable. I know it's easy. I know you don't have to button it up. It just slips right on. But I don't want that anymore. Jesus, I woke up today, and yeah, I've... My life has been addiction, and it's, addiction is comfortable. Addiction is where I go when I'm stressed. Addiction is how I comfort myself. But Jesus, you're so good. And you've told me that you don't want me to live in that life anymore. And yeah, I want to go to the bar right now. Yeah, I want to shoot up or sniff up or do whatever. I, I want to. That's comfortable. That's been my life. But, but Jesus, you, you, it wouldn't please you. I know that. And Lord, I've been witnessing to my family. I don't want to look like the old guy anymore. And you've got all these new clothes. One called freedom. Freedom from addiction. I'm I'm putting that sweater on today. And do you see that through this process where we decide which clothes we're going to wear, that eventually... Eventually, not because God made us, but because we agreed with God. We put on the new man day after day after day after day. And then one day, she'll take those out of the closet and I won't miss them because I haven't worn them in years. Because I agreed with her. See, if God just took the sin nature away, we might resent it. Because we like it. And he's, he's making us co-work with. All right, that's enough. Let's, let's have the worship team come back. and <coughs> 
two calls today. Here, uh, two, two groups of people that I want to pray for. So if we get, for this first one, if we could have every head bowed and every eye closed. Um, maybe during the course of today, you, you realize something. That even though you can clean things up on the outside and make it look good, and maybe you even have a strong will, you question whether you're really born again. You question because you spend a lot of time, even though you put up social norms to keep you from the mud, you spend a lot of time peering over. Maybe you haven't committed adultery, but you spend a lot of time thinking about it. Maybe you aren't doing something overt, but you realize that something in you is drawn the wrong way. God's answer is this, not to condemn you. His answer was to die for you on the cross because he loves you so much. He rose from the dead, and the Bible says Jesus stands at the door and knocks. The answer is becoming right with God, and Jesus wants to give that to you as a gift. You can leave here today right with God because of what he did for you. It's called his gift. So if that is you, Jesus, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, if Jesus is knocking on your door, door today, and you want to say, Pastor Tom, I want to, I don't know how to, but I want to open that door. All I want to do is have a prayer for you, because somebody helped me open my door. If that is you, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? I see that hand, and that hand, God bless you, and this hand, God bless you, and this hand over here, God bless you. And that whole group can just put your hands down and I, I'm because I want to just look for any other hands. I'm looking all over. I'm up in the balcony. I see this hand here. Thanks, bro. God bless you. God bless you. You can put that down too. Anybody else by upraised hand? I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's a new day. I see that hand. God bless you, man. Anybody else? Anybody else? We're, we're doing business with God right now. If you raised your hand, I want you to just put your hand over your heart right now and pray something like this to God. Lord, I need you to make me a new person. Lord, I'm I'm weary and tired of trying to appear and trying to make it look good. And Lord, I realize sin is been my master. And I believe today that you love me. I believe today that you died on the cross for me. And you are knocking. You want to live in me. You want to live with me. You want to make me right with God right now. And Lord, I am by faith right now. I'm opening the door of my heart. Come in, Lord. Save me. I repent of my sins. I repent of being my own master. Be my master. Be my Lord. Save me and keep me the rest of my life from deception. I receive your gift right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we give these a round of applause? And then could we stand to our feet? second call is very simple. You want to, you, you want to, to, to leave your, your sweater in the closet. 
You want to leave whatever that easily besetting sin is that has gotten you again and again because it's comfortable, it's easy to put on. It's, you just, for Jesus' sake, but also for your own sake, and you, you want to put that one in the closet and, and, and start wearing the new clothes that he has provided. Would you just open your arms like this to the Lord? And we're just going to pray a prayer right now. Father, you see us. You see almost every single person that's in this church right now. Jesus, this is how much we love you. We love you, Jesus. We don't want to be part-time Christians. And Lord, you've, you've left that sin nature. You've left those, that sin in the closet so that we could choose again and again and again that we love beauty. We love your love. We don't want to live our lives looking old. We don't want to live in hatred and bitterness and prejudice and lust. And we don't want to live thinking about how we're going to steal from somebody or lie to somebody or deceive somebody. Lord, we're leaving all that in the closet. We know we're capable of it, so we're not judging anybody that we see out in the world doing it. But God, we don't want to put that on. Today, we just commit to the new clothes that you bought for us on the cross. Fill us today, especially with that, that thing you provided that counters what's been easily besetting. For hatred, give us your love. For anxiety and fear, give us your peace. For lust, give us your purity. And we will count ourselves dead to things that are still on our hard drive. Lord, we're going to make them go without being used and tapped into for a long, long time. Holy Spirit, help us not just to do righteousness, but to love righteousness. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, team. God bless you. We're going to have uh, some prayer teams up here if you want more prayer. And uh, have a great day.